Hey, hey, welcome to this very first episode of More Clients, Less Effort. I'm your host, Tim Hyde, and I'm super thrilled that you've decided to join me on this show. It's been a sort of plan of mine for quite some time now, well over actually a couple of years over COVID to kick off my very own podcast, having been podcasting now since, wow, uh, way back in 2001 when I first started podcasting, but that was been collaboration efforts and this time I've decided to kind of launch my own show. In this show, or this episode at least, I'm going to share with you, I guess, some of my journey, how I got to where I am today, share some of its successes. And the show in general, what I plan on doing is interviewing some incredibly successful entrepreneurs about what they do to, as the title of the show indicates, how they land more clients with less effort, the systemization of their sales and marketing machine. And we're going to drill into that in more detail. But I wanted to first up share with you, you know, what makes me really passionate about business. And I'm not entirely sure where it comes from because I don't come from a business family. In fact, I'm the black sheep. I don't think anyone in my family has been in business as far as I know. But way, 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 way back in my misspent youth, I kind of fell in love with this idea of business. And I blame my first mentor for that. And uh, scarily, it was actually Uncle Scrooge. Uh, if my Uncle Scrooge golden book, and I thought the idea as a six-year-old of rowing around in my little dinghy through piles of money would be something that just seemed really fun and, and cool. Little do I know that, you know, certainly diving into piles of coins now um, isn't as comfortable as notes, so I definitely recommend notes. But I've always been fascinated by this thing, this entrepreneurship journey uh, that I was seeing Uncle Scrooge and, and as I started to look around and, and see what people were doing and what made people successful. Uh, and that's been a sort of lifelong fascination for me, right from that first uh, venture as a six-year-old, um, creating a circus in my uh, my new hometown to get to know the neighborhood kids and, and spending all of my ill-gotten gains at that stage on one-cent sweets from my local store. I, uh, I did eat all of them on the way home from school one day and was hooked. Um, second venture was a uh, I think it was a, a sausage sizzle at the school fate, um, which made more than the rest of the fate put together. Uh, and all because, you know, I didn't want Devonshire tea or scones or cakes, which which was the thing that everyone else solved. And the thing that I love about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs in general is that we have this kind of innate ability to see patterns and to see particularly gaps in those patterns that there's an opportunity for us to kind of fill the hole, fill that need in the market. And for me, you know, it was the circus, it was the sausage sizzle at school fate, it was wine racks working with uh, young achievers as a teenager. And I found myself, you know, kind of pulled between, I guess, my parents' expectations that I would go off to uni and, and be a successful professional, uh, as the eldest son often did in our family, and this desire to kind of pursue my entrepreneurial ambitions. And I must say, you know, went to, went to uni in the early 90s when there was no internet and got out and started working in government. And I think the idea there that we were kind of being exposed to this new technology, this thing that, you know, suddenly in 1994 had a name called the internet and we were using all sorts of computer systems to kind of capture and gather data 
from our customers. And I found myself having come out of IT at uni um, and doing a lot of data analytics work, right? You know, trying to make sense of all this information that we could suddenly capture that we couldn't really do before. And so that was kind of really interesting to me, you know, building my first websites in way back in 1995, early 1996 using front page. For those of you listening who remember front page, uh, it was a super clunky website builder. You know, towards the, the end of the late 90s, we were seeing things, you know, sort of emerge in this, what we now know kind of as, as a digital marketing space, but it wasn't called digital marketing back then either. You know, it didn't really have a name. It just, people were just using this internet thing to create websites, to be able to sell products, to be able to interact with their customers in a very, very different way. And late 90s, uh, a good friend of mine, John, so shout out to John if you're listening, um, who's also a, a very keen podcaster and runs a fantastic podcast about tanks with my good friend Rob. We got together and we said, okay, what's happening in our hometown? Let's use this internet thing to create a forum for our hometown. So rather than specific interest around tanks or crochet or gaming or whatever it happened to be, we will create a website that allows people to jump on and contribute content about issues that were important to them in our hometown. Now, little do we know that this is what we now know as social media. And, you know, I was finding that this sort of confluence of sort of skills and interests that I'd had around business, around marketing, around IT, um, were all sort of coming together in the form of this this website, which is still running today. So you can go check it out if you want to. It's called theriotact.com, the-riotact.com. Fantastic website. But, you know, we built this thing and, and uh, we're just... To start with, it was a bit for shits and giggles. We just having a bit of fun. We thought we'd create a, an opportunity to go and do stuff. Um, we would get occasional sort of free gig tickets, and then that, those free gig tickets turned into a case of beer or a, a six pack of beer, which was fantastic uh, to go and cover you know, just activities that were going on in our local town. And I thought this was really interesting sort of thing. And we got to this point very early nineties, uh, sorry, early noughties anyway, that. Um, we thought, okay, we've got to, you know, this is taking a bit more work now. Let's see what else we can do with this. And we started approaching advertisers. We had an audience in that case. That back then it was 25, not, you know, fairly modest, 25,000, 30,000, 50,000 uh, visitors per month. And, you know, we found that people were coming back, right, because we were really, um, I guess, creating great content for people. We're curating great content that people found super relevant, uh, to where they are and started okay got audience let's try and advertise and about that time what I was finding I think you know this is about the time that sort of 2003 that LinkedIn um, you know got its start uh, Facebook you know was late 20 2004 really got started to get traction sort of 2005 2006 and certainly in Australia not till a bit later that you know this kind of emergence of what we know as, as social media was becoming a thing and we were seeing a real transition of how people engaged with information you know, no longer was the yellow pages used as a source of information it was used to prop your monitor up to the right ergonomic height and of course people would sort of go okay well i've got this internet thing i've got this web wombat and alta vista and yahoo and and then the kind of the emergence of google in um in 2001, 2002, you know, as it started to become the platform of choice to find information out. And we had this sort of social media site effectively that was giving people a lot of information. 
Now, about the same time, you know, we're getting the attention of traditional marketing agencies and advertisers. And so I found myself, I guess, teaching marketing agencies what digital marketing was about, which was kind of a fascinating experience. And I still remember the first time I presented at the Australian Institute of Management to, I guess, a, a bunch of what were effectively peers, but I didn't see them then. I thought these guys were, you know, heads of really successful marketing agencies and I was teaching them what this digital marketing thing was. And from an advertiser perspective, the fascination with what we what I now talk to people about in, in terms of customer journey was really interesting to me. Probably for the first time ever, we were able to really test and measure exactly the response rates from uh, particular initiatives. So I knew that 700 people clicked on that 300 by 300 ad that said those words, or that 5,000 people had clicked on that 928 by 90 banner that said the different words or had different colors on it. And, you know, really for the first time, we could actually get this data intelligence and be data led around our marketing initiatives and what it is we do. But, you know, we had clients come back and say, hey, it didn't work. And I'm going, well, why not? You know, to me, that was a bit like going back to my uni days where we'd line out pages and pages and pages of, of uh, you know, dot matrix paper. If you, if you remember the, everyone remembers those, it was kind of joined by a little perforation back in the day. My son doesn't know that stuff because he was born way after that existed. And we would go through it with a, you know, with a red pen and we sort of look for the breaks in the code. It would get to a certain point in the code where the instructions that we were giving the code didn't know what to do next. And I saw the same thing in marketing that, you know, when we we would have our customers come in, we'd do all the thing to attract the attention. They'd get engaged. They'd be interested in what the offer was. And they would click to go to the next step and the code would break. You know, all the marketing journey would break and those customers wouldn't go what to do next. And of course, advertiser would come back and just say, well, let's try something else. Let's do something else again. And I've likened this very much to, as my son, who's now 17, was doing, you know, I'd get him, ask him to clean his bedroom and he would kind of do his own thing and I'd ask him to clean his bedroom again and he wouldn't do, get the outcome I want. And I liken that very much to like that bit of code. At some point in that journey, either my son or the customer in this case wouldn't know what to do next and therefore they'd go and do their own thing. Strangely enough, my son's priority is not to clean his own bedroom. And so, you know, it'd break. And I see businesses all over the world do exactly the same thing. We start with the best intent to find the right people that we can help and really solve their problems. But at some point in that customer journey, that connection breaks. And we find ourselves going, well, what do I need to do to get to my next customer? This is really hard. I want to grow my business. I want to be able to help more people. But something's not quite working. Anyway, roll forward to 2014, sold that business. I've now at loose ends. I just try to decide what I want to do when I grow up and I start to have customers come back to me and say, hey, Tim, you know, that stuff you were talking to us about, the maturity of your sales and marketing machine and your sales and marketing process, can you help us more like with that? You know, nine years later, almost up to my 10th birthday. That's really exciting. So 10 years uh, next year in 2024 of, of my business, but I find this really fascinating that you know so many so many business owners you know we we have these these best intentions and we we want to make a difference in the world and obviously you know that comes with the uh, the money and the spoils of our entrepreneurial ventures and and being able to sort of 
support our families and, and have the life we want. But so many of us kind of focus on the wrong things. Well, I think the wrong things. You know, we think if I just desire it, it'll happen. If I think and I will grow rich, it doesn't quite happen like that. You know, I really believe that the more we can systemize our sales and marketing machine, the more predictable we can make it, the more systems we can put in around that, the more likely we are to have some form of control about where our business goes. And that is really the crux of this show. We're going to be interviewing some absolutely incredible entrepreneurs who have been there, done that, and made it over and over again. They've really cracked the code of how do they attract more clients with less effort? How will they do to systemize their sales and marketing machine so that they can control the flow? You know, if you want to grow quickly, they can grow quickly. If they want to grow slowly, they can grow slowly. But they're not sitting there first thing in the morning thinking, where are my customers going to come from today? So if that's something you're interested in, if you'd like to know more about how to systemize your sales and marketing, some of the strategies that really successful entrepreneurs use, some of the tactics, we're going to drill some into, down into some of those as well, how to connect all of those puzzle pieces together that pull your sales and marketing efforts into line so that you can have predictable and controlled growth and scale your business to wherever you want to take it. I want to welcome you and encourage you to tune in for the show. Hit the subscribe button. Looking forward to seeing you. We've got a bunch of awesome shows lined up already. They're coming real soon. And I'm looking forward to you guys joining on me on this journey. Again, thanks again for dialing in for episode zero and looking forward to sharing some incredible stories and secrets and success with you along this way. Thanks again. I'm looking forward to seeing you next time.